Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of the Fashion Law Network Podcast. I'm your host, Kasia Zabroska-Trobin, a patent attorney and fashion enthusiast based in Los Angeles, California. Join me as I break down legal cases going on in the world of fashion today, discuss recent fashion news, and demystify patent law. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. On today's episode, I'll be focusing on the company Farfetch. Farfetch has been touted as being one of the world's most successful online luxury platforms, and it's unique as its founder, Jose Neves, has stated that Farfetch is more of a tech company rather than a retailer, as it's basically a platform which connects shoppers with different luxury boutiques around the world. And then once a product is sold, Farfetch takes a commission of the sale. Farfetch recently set a sales record for the last quarter. And in fact, according to MarketWatch, Farfetch says luxury shopping has gone digital and it's not going back to its traditional brick and mortar ways even once the coronavirus pandemic has passed. Interestingly, nearly two-thirds of its shoppers are millennials or Gen Z. Also, just one week ago, Farfetch announced a major partnership with e-commerce giant Alibaba from China and Richemont, the Swiss luxury conglomerate, among a few other partners, with an investment of $1.15 billion into Farfetch Limited and the new Farfetch China joint venture. So in the first half of this episode, I'll go over the history and the biography of the founder of Farfetch and even include my own personal experience with the company. And then in the second half of the episode, I'll break down a pretty high profile federal securities class action lawsuit, which Farfetch has been involved with, which has not yet been resolved, despite starting back in September of 2019. But first... Let's begin with some insight and history into the Farfetch company. Farfetch is a UK-based luxury online platform, and it's relatively new. It was launched in 2008, and as described on their own website, farfetch.com, they state that Farfetch began as an e-commerce marketplace for luxury boutiques around the world. Today, the Farfetch marketplace connects customers in over 190 countries with items from more than 50 countries and nearly 1,300 of the world's best brands. So Farfetch was probably one of the first e-commerce luxury platforms that offered items from third-party sellers, although these are independent brands and boutiques, which of course is different than the typical third-party marketplace platform like an Amazon or Walmart, which of course caters to more individual and also very small sellers among the big box ones also, of course. Um, So the genius founder of Farfetch is Jose Neves. Mr. Neves is currently only 46 years old and he's a billionaire. He's listed on the world's richest people list. So he must have been only about 33 when he initially founded Farfetch. It was founded in 2007, launched in 2008. Now let's just go over a little bit of Mr. Neve's biography. He grew up in the city of Porto in Portugal. 
And Porto is actually the second largest city in Portugal and seems like a really picturesque coastal town in the northwest of Portugal. And it's known for its port wine industry. Mr. Neve's grandfather owned a shoe factory in the city of Porto. And according to compasslist.com, while Jose was getting his degree in economics from the University of Porto in the mid-90s, he started a software company called Gray Matter. And it's also been reported that he was actually a software engineer also. Furthermore, he then started another software company called Platform, which had an operating system for his fashion clients. Mr. Neves then moved to the UK, where he started a shoe company with a retail store in London. And then he opened a men's retail store in London in 2001. So obviously he had plenty of fashion and retail experience before launching the Farfetch company. So once Farfetch was launched, the next kind of big event here was in 2015. Farfetch bought the UK-based retailer Browns, which is an iconic fashion and luxury goods boutique. Now, interestingly, as described on the Farfetch website, in April of 2017, they unveiled what they call an augmented retail vision, and they launched the Farfetch Store of the Future, which is described as being a technology-powered retail operating system. And the suite of technologies aims to improve retail productivity by capturing consumer data and then enhancing the interactions between consumers and sales associates, both in-store, when the consumer would interact with the retailer or the brand online. And then the website states that this allows for a really uniquely tailored offering to each brand or retailer in keeping their in-store and online strategy. A few months after that, it was reported that Farfetch announced a exclusive multi-year global innovation partnership with Chanel, through which they work together to develop a range of digital initiatives. In some other notable Farfetch news, in June of 2017, Chinese e-commerce company called JD.com Inc. bought a minority stake in Farfetch for $397 million. And then the really big news came in 2018 in the fall when Farfetch went public on the New York Stock Exchange. Now keep this in mind because it will be important later when I discuss the recent lawsuit that Farfetch is involved in. And then in some very recent Farfetch news, this has been all over Women's Wear Daily, Market Watch, almost every major business news media outlet. So this particular uh, figure of numbers here was reported by marketwatch.com just a few days ago. So today is November 14th, 2020. And they stated that shares of luxury e-commerce retailer Farfetch soared 12.4% in the Friday trading and were up another 3.3% on Monday after it was announced. Now, this is a huge announcement here of their partnership with Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba Holding Group and Richemont. 
which includes an expansion in the Chinese market and a $600 million investment. Richemont owns some labels like Cartier, watchmaker Piaget, and fashion brand Chloe. Alibaba and Richemont will also each invest $250 million in a new joint venture, Farfetch China. Now, this is obviously going to majorly increase Farfetch's reach outside of the U.S., Europe. Um, obviously, they see the Chinese market as being the future here. Daniel Zhang, who's the chief executive of Alibaba, which is the Chinese-based e-commerce giant, released a statement where he said, quote, the Chinese luxury market is expected to account for half of global luxury sales by 2025. Then, as reported in alizila.com, Jose Neves issued a statement regarding this news, and he stated, quote, The new initiatives with Alibaba Group and Richemont extend Farfetch's strategy to power the di digital transformation occurring across the luxury industry, which has been accelerated by the unprecedented changes resulting from the pandemic. The luxury new retail initiative will explore ways we can help the wider industry move forward and thrive in the post-COVID world. Also, meanwhile, Artemis, which according to the Artemis.com website, is a investment research and technology firm which seeks to transform stock market volatility into opportunities for their clients. Now, Artemis is associated with Caring, which is the conglomerate which owns Gucci, Bottega Veneta, Saint Laurent, among a few other brands. So they are actually an investment vehicle that's tied to Gucci by the owner of Caring, of course. And they announced that they would increase their stake in Farfetch with a 50 million injection of cash in exchange for Farfetch's Class A ordinary shares. So in preparing all these podcast episodes over the last few months where I talk about various lawsuits and retail trends, a lot of which have to do with post-COVID-19 times, the investment in e-commerce by lots of luxury brands and online platforms is pretty uniform across the board. Now, if you guys remember my previous podcast episodes, in particular, my Retail Climate Change Series Part 1, where I discuss Amazon and their recent release of the Amazon luxury stores where they're trying to get in on the luxury online sales too. What makes me really think is what if in, I don't know, maybe eight to 12 months from now, the coronavirus somehow totally goes away as quickly as it came and people start traveling and then they're going to start going to stores more than ever because they missed the physical in-person shopping experience. And now you're going to have what seems like this mostly online only landscape for a lot of these companies. Now, is this going to hurt some of these companies which are making such huge investments into the e-commerce future? This of course is just my own personal opinion. And I may be biased because I do love physical stores. I'm not a huge online shopper as I mentioned many times. So We may need a Nostradamus for this prediction, and I'm no psychic or professional retail trend forecaster, but I do go with my gut, and I like to go on the record as being apprehensive with this business model for luxury stores. So I'll be curious to return to this topic when hopefully this pandemic finally ends, and then we can analyze the changes at that point. 
Now, in terms of a personal Farfetch anecdote, I've had some limited experiences with Farfetch, all very positive. I purchased a few designer items from the site over the years, most recently just last month. Although I do have to say at first when I went on the site, I didn't really understand how the company worked. But then I kind of read up a little bit about it and saw that they source from these various boutiques and brands and they kind of bring the customer to the to the boutique. All the items that I've purchased have been authentic. And the most recent purchase I made, a pair of boots, was a little interesting. I had to return the boots because they were too small. And then I purchased them in a larger size. So this part was interesting to me because the first pair I bought came from Brown's Fashion, which as we know is owned by Farfetch. They purchased Brown's Fashion in 2015. And the boots came with a receipt stating that that's where they were from. So I made an online order return and I mailed the boots back in their original DHL box. And they were returned to the central Farfetch shipping office in the UK. Then I went back on the Farfetch site and purchased the next size up of these boots. And now this larger size of boots came from a different store, a small boutique from Brussels, Belgium. And they were actually cheaper than the smaller size boots I got for some reason. The new boots from Belgium also arrived to me via DHL, free shipping, and very quickly. So I was very pleased with my purchase, and I would recommend Farfetch to anyone. Okay, so now let's switch gears and talk about Farfetch and their recent legal activity. It deals with a pretty high-profile federal securities class action, which has not yet been resolved despite starting back in September of 2019. The lawsuit is a class action lawsuit in Ray Farfetch Securities litigation, and it is pretty complex. The amended complaint is over 200 pages. So for my non-attorney listeners, a class action lawsuit is a kind of lawsuit where one of the parties is a group of people who are represented collectively by a member of that group who are wronged by a defendant or corporation, like in our case. So just in a nutshell, this lawsuit basically alleges securities laws violations in connection with Farfetch's September 2018 IPO, the uh, initial public offering. The plaintiff claims that the defendant's did not provide various disclosures to investors, such as promotions of luxury goods, that Farfetch would be pursuing acquisitions to remain profitable, and that this federal securities action, which asserts both strict liability claims under the Securities Act of 1933 and fraud-based claims under the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, allegedly arises from defendants' materially false and misleading statements and omissions to investors concerning Farfetch's business model, growth strategy, and financial performance. So just some background knowledge here. The Securities Act of 1933 was enacted just to make sure that there is complete disclosure of relevant financial information on publicly offered securities and to kind of prevent any kind of fraudulent practices when you're selling these securities. And then the other act invoked here is the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, which is extended to require disclosures 
to secondary market issues. As I mentioned earlier, this case was initially filed in mid-September of 2019, and after looking at the docket history for this case, the initial complaint by the plaintiffs was filed in mid-September of 2019, and then there was lots of activity with various letters, notices of appearances, proposed orders, and then we come to our main document here, which is the class action amended complaint, or the most recent version of the complaint, which was filed on August 20th of 2020. Now, this is the 200-page document that I'll be using while breaking down this lawsuit. The table of contents alone is six pages. So, obviously, I'm not going to go into every detail here due to time constraints, but I'll try my best to just give you an overview of the complaint. And I'm going to mostly quote directly from the complaint because, in my opinion, it's written in pretty concise terms. And if I change it in my own words, I think it won't have the same feel as if I read directly from it. So I'm going to pull the parts that I think are relevant. So the complaint starts out with a preliminary statement, which I already read when I discussed the lawsuit just in a nutshell a few minutes ago, where they state that this federal securities class action asserts the liability claims under the Securities Act. So I'm not going to read that one again. Then it goes on to allege that defendants, which include founder Jose Neves, a Farfetch former COO and Farfetch CFO. Now, this is just a quick interjection of my comments here. These are not the only defendants to this lawsuit. Now I'm going back to reading the amended complaint. The defendants took Farfetch public in September of 2018 based on the misleading story that the company was a unique online third-party marketplace platform that carried little inventory and none of the risks of a more traditional first-party e-commerce wholesale or retail seller. The complaint goes on to allege that defendants sold investors on a strategy of exponential growth akin to the growth achieved by platforms like Uber and Amazon. Defendants' representations to investors made during, they did this two-week international roadshow, and it led to a wildly successful IPO that raised over $1 billion, which then led to an $8 billion valuation for Farfetch, despite the fact that the company had never made a profit in its 10-year existence and had less than $400 million in revenue in 2017. Overnight, the IPO made defendant Neves a billionaire and made multimillionaires out of defendants Jordan and Rob, who are the COO and CFO here. The complaint goes on to allege that while making these rosy assurances, the officer defendants cashed in during the second quarter of 2019, selling up to $68 million of their personal stock holdings. The complaint then alleges various other financial statements and records and then goes on to allege that, first, the company surprised analysts and investors by revealing that it was acquiring New Guards Group, which is an Italian luxury fashion producer and first-party seller for $675 million, an amount greater than Farfetch's revenue for all of 2018, and more than 
three-fourths of the entire sum the company raised in its blockbuster IPO. The complaint alleges the company also disclosed significant quarterly losses and sharply reduced guidance and margins. Finally, the company disclosed that defendant Rob, the company's COO, had resigned after nine years with Farfetch, less than one year following the IPO, and that there was allegedly no explanation given for his unexpected departure. These disclosures stunned investors and analysts, analysts prompting questions about whether the company's revealed first-party acquisition strategy was designed to conceal a lack of organic growth in the third market place. Then the complaint alleges that as a result of these disclosures, the Farfetch shares plummeted by 45%, and then they go through uh, various other financials here. So the main gist of this part here is this line here in the complaint, which states that defendants had engaged in a deliberate campaign to conceal from investors Farfetch's historical and planned reliance on first-party retail business for significant revenues. Now, this part in the complaint is interesting. It alleges that essential to Farfetch's marketplace platform model was the fact that Farfetch was the facilitator of sales between luxury consumers on the one hand and luxury boutiques or brands on the other, but carried no inventory and therefore incurred little financial risk. Now, these are my own words. This allegation of no inventory plays out over and over in this complaint. And then the complaint lays out a pretty detailed timeline of how Farfetch laid out the IPO plans using various fashion news quotes, among other research. This part of the complaint is titled, Farfetch lays the groundwork for an IPO promising incredible growth without inventory risk. Another part in the complaint is titled, Unknown to Investors, Defendants Misrepresented Farfetch's Business Model and Growth Strategy, which alleged that while defendants planned for the IPO for at least 18 months, Farfetch concealed that revenues derived from the Browns luxury boutiques became increasingly important part of the company's overall financials. And the complaint goes on to allege various other ways that defendants allegedly misled investors. They seem pretty detailed here and finance heavy. So I'm not going to get into the details of this one here. Then another section is titled Defendants False and Misleading Statements and Omissions. Lots of earnings releases, annual reports, documents here. And then at the end, plaintiffs set out their class action allegations among a few others, claims for relief under the Exchange Act, Securities Act. And then on October 23rd, 2020, so not even a month ago, Farfetch responded to this amended complaint with their motion to dismiss. So for my non-attorney listeners, a motion to dismiss is filed when a party thinks that the complaint is not legally valid. And this can be based on a variety of grounds. So here we'll see what the grounds are here um, that Farfetch alleges. So the preliminary statement in the motion to dismiss by Farfetch alleges that on August 8, 2019, Farfetch announced its acquisition of a luxury fashion company 
and a modest downward revision to its annual earnings guidance. Its stock price declined and plaintiffs filed this lawsuit. Ever since, plaintiffs have been in search of a coherent theory to sustain their claims. The amended complaint is based on the untenable notions that 1. Farfetch concealed its plans to abandon its core technology business model, and 2. That Farfetch's supplemental financial metrics were false and that these frauds were revealed in Farfetch's 2019 disclosures, which said nothing about either. The motion to dismiss goes on to allege that lacking any viable theory, plaintiffs cobbled together a voluminous series of disjointed allegations that leave the amended complaint riddled with fatal flaws and it should be dismissed. The far-fetched motion goes on to allege that at the time of its IPO in September of 2018, Farfetch earned the vast majority of their revenue from commissions that were charged on these third-party transactions occurring in its online marketplace, Farfetch.com. And at the time, Farfetch had warned investors it had yet to turn a profit and explained in order to execute its strategic vision to be the leading global platform for luxury fashion, the company evaluated acquisitions and might make additional acquisitions using the IPO proceeds. Farfetch also explained that to grow, the company might incur substantially higher promotional costs or offer more customer incentives. And then they allege that following the IPO, this is precisely what happened. Another interesting part in this motion to dismiss is where Farfetch alleges that since this lawsuit was filed, Farfetch has actually exceeded all of its earnings guidance and the New Guard's acquisition they did proved to be wildly successful and its stock price has reached new heights. In fact, it's higher than its IPO price and the prices plaintiffs paid when they bought Farfetch stock more than eight months after the IPO. In short, Farfetch is a highly successful business. So obviously I'm really glossing over this almost, I think, 50-page motion to dismiss that Farfetch filed here. Um, But basically they respond to the items that the amended complaint alleged. And then the next document in the docket history in this case is a letter that plaintiff's counsel wrote to the court where they write on behalf of the plaintiffs and they name them here to alert the court and defendants that the plaintiffs will rely on the consolidated amended complaint and that they're going to file their opposition to defendant's motion to dismiss on or before December 22nd, 2020. So I have December 22nd calendared and I will be checking back to see what the plaintiffs have responded to the far-fetched motion to dismiss. I'm sure it will be very interesting. And that concludes this episode. Please stay tuned next Tuesday for episode 11, and I hope you have a wonderful day. 